Good morning. It is uh, from me. It's lovely to see you guys. This morning, uh, we're going to be carrying on with the sermon series in Philippians that Toby kicked us off with last week, walking through the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church from his imprisonment in Rome. Paul wrote warmly to his friends in the city of Philippi, as Toby showed us last week, with a message of well done to a church that was doing living for Jesus really well, but with a reminder that you're not done. The whole letter is filled with Paul's joy for the gospel and what the gospel means for us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. We see Paul turning his attention to how the gospel is doing now that Paul has been placed under house arrest and therefore has been stopped from going out and preaching it in quite the same way that he was used to. I'm conscious when we talk about the gospel in any setting like this, there'll be some amongst us who don't call yourselves Christians or who haven't decided to get to know Jesus yet. You're sitting in on a conversation about our good news this morning and you are incredibly welcome to do so. You can see what you think of it as you watch us unpacking it on the inside of church, as it were. So why don't we read the passage, if the awesome guys on the tech team have, with about 30 seconds notice, stuck, oh, good on you, team. I didn't even tell them the passage this morning. Aren't they great? (laughs) I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, And continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Amen. So if you're following along in your own Bible, um, whether that's a paper one or an electronic one, let's skip back to verse 12 and let's walk through a couple of points together. Verse 12 begins, I want you to know, brothers... Paul's concern in this whole letter is for his friends and for their anxiety 
not for his own circumstances. His concern is for their anxiety, firstly, for his well-being. He's under house arrest. Roman prisons aren't particularly glorious places, and Roman prisoners weren't treated like five-star hotel guests. But not only for his well-being, he's concerned for their anxiety for the success of the gospel. As the second half of verse 12 points out, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As Toby said last week, this is a friendship letter written by a church planter, Paul, to his church in Philippi, who'd heard that he was in prison, sent a gift to help to sustain him. Well, there's affection both ways throughout the letter. It's lovely. Paul seems to be wanting to teach and reassure his friends that Jesus is still Lord, that God is still winning, even when things are looking bleak. Writing as a prisoner under house arrest, under a possible death sentence, if this sort of thing happened to a church leader, you might be right in thinking that that was the end of that church. It could be hard to see how a church might recover from such a fatal blow. And in the first first 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, with mostly small, fledgling churches starting up here and there, to take out one of the main, or the main, traveling church planter wouldn't just spell the end for a church, it could spell the end for the church, capital C, all of Christianity. It could be the end for the gospel, or certainly the gospel continuing to spread. So hearing that Paul was in prison, the Philippians could have been forgiven for fearing, well, this is it for Christianity, for the gospel. And so, Paul not just reassures them that the gospel mission is still go, but that it's stronger than the stuff that comes against it. God will not only prevail despite difficulties, but he'll use them to advance the gospel. Verse 13 unpacks that a bit more. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know that saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I think Paul might have said, when life gives you prison, make Jesus known to prison guards. It wouldn't be my number one strategy, personally, in sharing the gospel, to wander into a town to try and get myself arrested and to look for the G4S team. It probably wasn't Paul's. Considering what a strategist Paul can seem to us, he also seems excellent at rolling with it. Going with God's plan, even when Paul can't see what that plan is, or even can't see whether there is a plan. If you remember in Acts chapter 22, uh, we won't go there this morning, but just to, to stick a pin in this for you, Paul finds himself seeking the protection of the Romans from the religious leaders around him who were trying to execute him. He probably wasn't desperate for that protective custody to turn into a lifelong imprisonment and a threat of death. But when that's the situation he found himself in, he looked for opportunities to share Jesus in it. The final verse of the book of Acts leaves us with Paul under his house arrest in Rome, saying this, if you do fancy going to Acts 28, 31, that'd be amazing. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 28, 31. That's the final verse in the book of Acts. That's the where the history of the New Testament, and you're amazing, Uh, verse 31, would that be all right? Acts 28 on verse 31. 
I gave you no warning for this whatsoever, so you nailed it. Amazing. Boldly and without hindrance, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the history book of the New Testament leaves Paul. Everything else that we know after that is letters. So the last kind of recorded, this is the event, leaves us zooming out away from Paul in Rome, doing his best to make Jesus known from his house arrest, from his prison. When life gives you prison, make Jesus known to prison guards. I quite like getting my hair cut. Oh, man. And I found a barber I like going to in Fife, who does a good job, as far as I can tell. I mean, if you disagree, uh, tell me rather than him. He's not exactly got a super model to work with, so let's not hurt his feelings. Whenever I sit in the barber's chair, barbers I've known have tended to make small talk, which is a great chance to tell them that there's a God who loves them. That poor soul is trapped for about 20 minutes within arm's length of my head. (laughs) So, got any plans for the weekend? (laughs) Well... (laughs) But seriously, what a chance to tell someone what's honestly good news for them. I genuinely like, really like, and really respect the gentleman who has demopified me three times now since moving up to Fife. He even remembers me when I pop in, which I'm taking as a good thing. And I'm not trying to hit him over the head with Christianity, just to tick a box in my own righteousness with God. So I don't tend to crack out helpful opening lines such as, do you know you're a wretched sinner and you're going to hell unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? The smile helps it. (laughs) I want him to hear the message, not to get beaten up by it. So I talk to him as my friend, openly, naturally, about church and how I enjoy it. I talk to him about the stuff that I do in church From there, it's easy to say to him, well, actually, worship's really important to me, and I love the presence of God. And I can talk to him about how God speaks today in words and pictures, how we've seen God heal people. Even this morning, Toby's message about perhaps there's something that some of us need to to take the opportunity to repent. He didn't know that was the next song. (laughs) It was Lord Have Mercy. I mean, I love it when God does those sorts of things. There's a serious side to it, but he's also kind of playing with us a wee bit. I love it. So from there, it's not too much of a stretch for me to share my testimony with him, my experience of how I came to know God, and to explain the difference that God has made in my life, which is a handy way of talking to him about the gospel too. Again, I'm not trying to use him to score holy points for myself. Yes, shared the gospel today, score one for Jimmy. Or to do my duty. (laughs) lived up to my holy role again for this month, I can coast for a little bit until I need to earn God's favor again. It's not those. I like this guy. I think that a nice thing to do for him is to tell him naturally, honestly, openly about the God who I've met, who I think he'd enjoy meeting too. I think heaven and hell are a serious question. And I want lots of people to be in heaven and I don't particularly want anyone to go to hell. But even without going as serious as that, in that moment, I just want this guy to know the God who loves him now, even before we think about eternal consequences. My friend the barber has suffered my chat with grace and a professional politeness and what I hope is the beginnings of a genuine friendship. And through what I'm telling him and the way I've told him, 
I really hope and pray that he has caught a glimpse of God in me. Working through me to show him that God loves him too. And I'd never have got that chance if I'd just walked past him on the street. So can I encourage you to take those sorts of chances? To help people make connections with God, as we handily used as a tagline for our church? My barber friend was stuck with me until I was somewhere near presentable. Paul had a prison guard chained to him 24-7. So, Paul, got any plans for the weekend? (laughs) That meant that Paul could talk to him, but this guard would have seen Paul's life too. He would have seen whether his walk lived up to his talk, seen Paul's prayer life day in, day out, seen how seriously, how fully Paul lived for Jesus. And... When a new guard came in to change shift, the old one got to go and tell the others what he saw. Hey, that Paul guy, he really means this stuff about Jesus. And the cycle repeats. Without that imprisonment, minging as it might well have been, would Paul have been able to share Jesus with the whole imperial guard? If we can go back to verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1. This praetorio, this... um, palace guard, imperial guard, would not just have had the freedom to move around all of the city of Rome, but they would have had access by their very nature to the heart of the palace, to the household of the emperor of Rome himself. Could you ask for a better group to be sharing the gospel with? So in short, how does Paul respond to the Philippian church's concern about how the gospel's doing? (laughs) It's alive and kicking, thank you very much. God has brought in what may look like a death blow at first, but is instead a surprise fast track for this message spreading around the whole city from prison to palace. Nice one, Lord. Welcome. There's definitely seats that way. Can I tell you this morning that if you are disheartened about how God is using you, or if you can only see obstacles, that is by no means proof that God isn't using you or even that he isn't there. He is a much better chess player than me, our God, and he's able to turn what the enemy used for harm, or meant for harm, into real, powerful victory for his truth and his love. Verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Well, thankfully, we don't fear imprisonment for sharing that Jesus is Lord in this nation. But I think we still fear. We fear looking like a religious nutcase or appearing out of touch with society. Or we fear making our friendships awkward. But here, we have an advantage, actually. God is real. And he wants to to meet these people too. And he's really good at helping. I've had words and pictures for people that God has given to me to speak right into their situation that have opened up conversations in a completely different way than I would have been able to take them in my own strength. When God said, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he followed it up with, and surely I am with you always. Which is an encouragement, I think. 
But that said, this verse, verse 14, made me pause. Why does Paul's imprisonment encourage other Christians to share the gospel? Verse 15 unpacks that a wee bit more. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Preaching Christ from envy, from selfish ambition and rivalry. It might seem strange to us to preach God's good news of Jesus Christ and his love for us and his death and resurrection to save us and reunite us to God to get at someone. And then, without going too far into the, the historical context, the thinking seems to be, aha, that Paul guy liked planting churches. Well, we're going to plant more than him. We're going to get more people in our church than he managed in his. Ha, ha, ha. They've got Paul completely, completely wrong. This isn't Paul's gospel. It's God's. And Paul's attitude here seems to be, if you're preaching the key message of who Jesus is and what God has done for you, then go right ahead. Even if you're preaching it differently to how I would. Even if you maybe emphasize different bits, whatever, so long as people are getting to know Jesus. Now, there may well be some of us who would say, wait a minute, I want the real gospel to be preached, not the way that church preaches it. I want people to get to know God the right way, the way I tell people, which I get. I can sympathize with wanting people to hear the full truth about something so important. But here's the thing. We're not recruiting for a belief club where people join up to a social group based on having the right checklist set of ideas. We are trying to connect people with a living God. To help them into a relationship with a real, living, loving Father who isn't passive. God is active in speaking, in working in people's hearts. So I'm glad to hear of churches introducing people to Jesus even if I don't agree with every bit of their theology because I trust God to meet people to introduce and reintroduce and reintroduce himself, actually. So for Paul, the the questions and the contested issues aside, the important thing is get people introduced to Jesus. The rest of the stuff, secondary to that relationship getting started. And I trust God to be active in revealing himself. This introduction, this is a message of joy, a message of delight. That there is a God who loves you so much that he isn't content to let you sit in your self-made mess, but wants to fix this broken world and the broken relationship we have with him. And so God the Father commissioned God the Son to be born as a person, fully human and fully God, to live, to teach to heal and to die, and then to be raised to new life so that our sins, our separation from God, could be removed from us so that the relationship between God and humanity could be reset. And God the Father commissioned God the Holy Spirit to meet with us, even us here today, to apply that truth to us and to bring us into a loving, 
restored relationship with him. It turns out he's a good, good father. A relationship where he continues to speak, where he continues to bowl us over with his loving interest in our little lives, and where we continue to see people healed by his power as we see his kingdom come bit by bit and awaiting the delight of having him come fully in great glory. I think that message is exciting. I think it's a wonderful thing because having a relationship with God, a real meeting with the God of this universe, is an astonishing thing. And I want to tell people about it. I want to share it because it's great. I want people to be reunited with God for their sakes. If a bakery in town decided to have a free fudge donuts Friday. Other donuts are available, but honestly, I don't know why. Wouldn't you message all of your friends to tell them? Or if lawyers for a long-lost rich uncle were trying to get in touch with your mate to give them a huge pile of cash from his will, wouldn't you beat your friend's door down to get that message to them, even if the will said that you couldn't have a penny for doing so yourself? Wouldn't you do it for your friend? But this is more than that. This isn't just about getting stuff, no matter how great fudge donuts are. This is about restored relationship. Maybe it's not a long-lost rich uncle. Maybe it's an estranged mum or dad, a husband or wife a friend of, of a friend of yours who's desperate to be reconciled, having been separated for too long by circumstances outside of their control. There's not just a fat check waiting for them. If they get back in touch, there's love. There's a relationship that will transform their life if they let it, just waiting for them. If you cared for your friend, you'd surely tell them about your discovery, tell them what's waiting for them. The reason I tell people about Jesus is that he's amazing. That he's the best person I've ever known. That discovering him was the best thing that ever happened to me. Sorry, sweetie. And I want my friends and everyone I meet to be reunited with their Heavenly Father, with our Heavenly Father, to join the family. I think it's a pretty handsome family too. How could I not want that for them? I tell them because God loves them, because me telling them is me loving them. Paul, a man who had a powerful relationship with God and who'd been given the mission of sharing God's truth with people, wanted as many people as possible to know Jesus. To get to know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether the person introducing God to you was keeping tally for Paul's mission or against Paul's mission, that didn't matter. Of course it didn't matter. This was about people getting reintroduced to the God who loves them. You tell people about what God's done for them through Jesus, I'll celebrate it. Or, as Paul actually says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It's verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether I live 
or die. Or sorry, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. First observation about this bit. Paul believes the gospel. Paul believes this stuff. How often might we shy away from sharing the gospel or telling people about heaven? Because when it comes down to it, deep down, we're not actually sure it's real. Or from telling people that there's a mighty God who loves them and can help them. Because actually, some days, that's not what we feel to be true. If that's how you feel, I understand it. But I'm convinced he is real. You'd be pleased to know. That he is as good as we read, speak, and sing about. And that he really does want to change people's lives for the better. Because I'm convinced of that, I'm much more at ease in telling other people God's good news message. I mean, if you're not sure it's true, then not only is it slightly weird and hypocritical for you to share it out of some sense of awkward duty, but the person you're talking to will probably smell that a mile off and that serves to undermine the message you're sharing somewhat. If you are in that place today, where you're just not secure in knowing that Jesus is Lord, and that he loves you, that's okay. Welcome. You are warmly welcomed here. We invite you to belong here, even before you might believe everything that we do about Jesus. As we often say in the Vineyard Movement, you just receive You come and see what of God you see. You get to know God yourself. Listen, take notes, ask questions where you disagree or where you're not sure. Come forward and try being prayed for when we offer that to see if God shows you anything. You are welcome. Whether you're new this morning or whether you've been here since day one and you're just going through a rough patch, you are welcome to belong here and to just receive from God through us, even if you're still working out if there is a God to receive from. Back in verse 18, Paul turns his attention to his own circumstances, not for vanity. Remember, he's writing to his friends who are concerned about his well-being. His affection for his church in Philippi is lovely. I'm all right, guys. I'm rejoicing. Not only am I rejoicing, but it's through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that I'll be delivered from this situation. Paul sees his deliverance coming one way or the other. God is going to win, and God is going to see Paul through, either through arranging his release from prison, or through Paul dying for his faith and honoring Jesus. We might not be such great fans of the second option there, but if we carry on reading, starting with the famous verse 21, he does expand his thinking. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There's no question that Jesus is all for Paul. Paul's focus on Jesus is so clear, so sharp, that his choice is Jesus or Jesus. And he puts it so simply in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain because he gets to be with Christ. His view is Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's I want Jesus one way or the other. It's 
more of you, Lord. Either Paul gets to go and live together with Jesus forever in heavenly glory, or Paul gets to stay to live on earth and his relationship with Jesus here and do Jesus' work. And both are great. Notice there isn't even a negative here. The way Paul sees it, it's win-win. How many of us in a similar situation would be weighing up, hmm, get executed or live constantly getting beaten up? Paul isn't just an optimist. He's got the love of Jesus in his sights for himself and the love of Jesus for those who haven't yet met him. So in verse 23, when Paul says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, he's not talking about escaping from difficulty. He's talking about the joys of being face to face with the God who loves him. So Paul's choice is to pray and to hope to live, to continue sharing his good news message, rather than to pray that his imprisonment would turn into martyrdom. And in verses 25 and 26, when he concludes, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, he's actually taking the more sacrificial option. Instead of the joys of heaven, Paul is choosing to sacrifice that joy to hope and to pray for continued work on earth. If the Philippian church are concerned for their friend Paul's well-being and are concerned for the future of the gospel, then Paul says to them, I do want to be with Jesus in heaven. That's going to be great. But I choose to pray to stay here to continue the mission of sharing the gospel. Both of the Philippians' concerns are taken care of and God's work is winning. Paul is unshaken that God's work hasn't taken a hit by Paul's own circumstances, but instead that God has taken a potentially awful situation of Paul's imprisonment and is using it ingeniously. He reassures his friends in Philippi that Jesus is Lord even of this prison and that both the gospel and him, their mate, are doing all right. And it's not empty words, of course. Here we are today, nearly 2,000 years later, nearly 2,000 miles away, celebrating this same gospel, which, it turns out, didn't die out in a prison in Rome. Paul rejoices that Jesus is Lord. He rejoices that Jesus' lordship is being preached. And I think his perspective is a challenge to us. Let me leave you with two questions. Are we... As verse 14 puts it, bold to speak the word without fear. Are we preaching Christ out of love? If the answer to either of those questions for you is no, then I'm not beating you up about it. But I do want to remind you of what an amazing God we have and what amazingly good news we've been given to gift to those around us. So why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for the gift you have given us of yourself, 
I want to thank you for the gift of that news to share that you've given us so that we can share your joy and share your delight with those around us. I want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in each of our lives here this morning. The work that you're already up to in drawing us closer into you. More of that, please, Lord. Would you wash away, like a tide on a shore, our resistance to you? And Lord, would you give us joy about the gift of your good news to share? Not pressure, not negative expectation, but would you remind us how good you are? Come, Holy Spirit, and would you bring refreshing, I pray, to our mission, to our representing you, and just to ourselves. Your peace, Lord, I pray. You're refreshing, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit.